please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. We'll be streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you this morning to Bible study time. Here with Rick Bonfim Ministries. I'm coming to you from the great state of Virginia on a rainy morning. But I had a restful night. Did you? I hope so. Because we're going to get right down to some serious Bible study this morning. We're going back to the book of James again and do some work on it. Some finishing touches on it. We're going to kind of sand it off and look at the conclusion of it and some of the last exhortations of James because that's really what the whole well work is about is exhorting us to be better Christians or just Christian period because if we don't if we don't be careful we'll be swearing and carrying on and doing those things that James says separates us from from God and from each other when we act in favoritism and favor the rich when we do those things like like I talked about last week about favoritism and and by the way I always check myself on these tapes because sometimes I do make mistakes and I made a couple last week I want to make you aware of first one I did was I said that the, we were talking about riches and rich people and we were talking about the Great Depression. And I mentioned that Roosevelt uh, had uh, some plans to uh, fix the uh, country's problems in terms of his economics. But I named him as Theodore Roosevelt, which is a blatant error. It actually was Franklin Roosevelt. So I'm sorry, but I got carried away on that. The other thing I want to tell you is I mentioned an author of a book that I had recommended. I think I called him by his name Fletcher, but it's actually David Hackett Fisher and the book is American Founders. You might want to take a look at that because this describes poverty, real poor. That is when you're a slave and all you have is God. What do you do as a result of that? So that's an interesting, thick book, but well worth a good read to understand both riches and poverty. But I made those two mistakes, and I've corrected them. And now see what I can, how many mistakes I can make this week as we go forward. Let's let's read this text today together. It is I've been given the fifth chapter of James, and the fifteenth verse on through to the eighteenth. However, I'm going to have to back up a, a little bit because that would take it out of complete context if I. Did that, so I'm going to go right on back to 13, which is popular. People will understand it and remember it. 
Here's what he says. Is anyone among you suffering? This is James 5, 13. Repeat. Is anyone among you suffering? They should keep on praying about it. And those who have reason to be thankful should continually be singing praises to the Lord. Is anyone sick? They should call for the elders of the church and they should pray over them and pour a little oil upon them, calling on the Lord to heal them. And their prayer, if offered in faith, will heal them, for the Lord will make them well. And if his sickness was caused by some sin, the Lord will forgive them. Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and wonderful results. Elijah was as completely human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for the next three and one half years. Then he prayed again. This time that it would rain. And down it poured and the grass turned green and the gardens began to grow again. And there ends the lesson for today. In this, really, the final exhortation of James, he's interested in, in healing. He talks about healing. And I immediately began to think of some of the great healers that I have known out in the general world. Some people, some of the healers that I've seen working. And I immediately, of course, thought of the Oral Roberts, who many of you may remember. Oral was a, uh, was an evangelist and was popular in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and up into the 80s. He was a very popular preacher. He, he was, he was known for his, uh, desire to heal. Built a college out in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and, uh, seminary there called Oral Roberts University. Some of our best preachers attended Oral Roberts University, some friends of mine. But I remember Oral as a healer when he would get in front of a bunch of people and pull up a chair and just sit down in front of the people and lift his hands up and his face up and pray to the heavens that he might be a conduit, I believe he used to say, for God's power. And now, um, let, let me say right there that um, one of the things that he said, which I remember, 
was all healing is divine. If you cut your finger and you, after a while you get well, that's a divine thing. It's, it's just what God does automatically. The, all healing is divine. So, to think of him, many people saw the opportunity for uh, the possibility of charlatanism, and uh, many people didn't didn't believe in him, and which was which was it was not necessary to believe in him, but perhaps in in the Lord. But he was he was he was known for uh, the ability to heal. Now there have been many evangelists and preachers who are gifted this way, gifted with the they are gifted with with putting healing front and center in their ministry. We don't all do that. All pastors don't do that. I mean, uh, that's not the first thing you think about when you think about certain pastors. But others, it's the first thing you think about. Now, is that good or bad? I, I'm, I'm not going to say that it is either one. But it's certainly worth recognizing as we proceed into this early Christian community here being exhorted by James to put healing in a kind of a priority because he's finishing up his whole address here with his concluding exhortations. In other words, he's, he's kind of giving forth his last punch. He's, he's going to prioritize. This is it. This is it. If any among you sick, oh man, he's concerned about that, you know. Is any among you hurting? If you're hurting, you have come to the right place. And we're going to get after that right now. So, I mean, that was just, just the way he was. He put it front and center in everything he did. I know I was on a, in a conversation call with, 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 with Ricky just recently and he, I mentioned the, that my wife had a bad arm and immediately he didn't he didn't say well I'll, when you come down to rekindle we'll we'll put it in prayer or something he right then right over the phone went right straight at it like, like a bulldog you know like a pit bull because that's what he does that's a lot of what his what his focus is so but healing is not magic because magic is it's just not. It's just not that. Because see, see, medicine and doctors are important, and they're needed. So it doesn't allow you to 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 escape into a dream world where you don't need medical attention. Because we all do. And should avail ourselves of it. So I think that's reasonable. You understand? But, but, because reason is high on how I do theology. I, I, I'm a little less concerned about what somebody's experience is and, and I'm a little, little less concerned about what they might tell me scripture says because you never know what somebody's going to tell you what the scripture says. But I do think that when it comes to this subject, that reason is a relatively wonderful way to approach the subject.
See, it's not, it's perfectly reasonable to know and understand that the Lord is interested in healing. Well, how do you know that? Well, you look at Jesus for your answers to that. If you want to know what God is like, you want to know what God is like, you don't look at Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> he may have said some wonderful things, but if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. Because Jesus has healing right up high on his list of things that he does. Blind, he heals the blind with a handful of spit and some mud. The answer to that is he's capable of it. He calls a sin-sick man down out of a tree by the name of Zacchaeus. You come down. I'm going to your house today. And what does Zacchaeus do in response to that? He gives off by half, his, uh, half of his own, that he owned. Gives it up. Because he's found the Messiah. And his sin-sick soul is made well. Well now, that's a theological statement that sounds an awful lot like Oral Roberts. I want to remind you of something interesting. If you ever get a preacher, and you, uh, ask them what they think sin is. And they will tell you what they think it is. And if you asked Oral Roberts what he thought sin was, he would tell you it is a terrible sickness. By that you would know how it is that Oral Roberts thinks you get saved. You see, healing. God wants to heal you of the sickness of sin. And present you clean before the Father. So, if you find out what they think sin is, you can determine how it is they think salvation is possible for human beings. And in reverse, it's true. They tell you how you can be saved. You can nine times out of ten. That will point you to the way of what the sin is. Now, I know that's a little complex. But I just wanted to lay it on the table for you so you'd have it to think about. Some of the words in this scripture lesson this morning are important to look at. I want to look at a few of them. Uh, remember that Jesus came, the Bible says, to teach, to preach, and to what? Heal. So Jesus leads the way into these words. And the word faith is used. In this text. Several times. Word faith. If you unpack that word. You're going to find that it is trusting in Jesus. It's not merely some belief you have. Some people may or may not believe in divine healing. Well. Toodaloo to you too. I mean who cares. For that matter. I mean. The Queen of England is still the Queen of England. Whether you believe it or not. Jesus is still Lord, whether you believe it or not. It's reasonable to believe it. Not merely a belief. If any sin shall be the occasion of a sickness, it shall be forgiven them. That's in this text also. If something that you do bad 
is the occasion of the sickness that you have, it shall be forgiven then. I can't tell you how many people I've been to the hospital to, to, to visit who are sick because of something they did to themselves. Either smoking, drinking, lack of complete total exercise. I've seen many people like that. And I know that what the problem is, reasonably, is a result of a lifestyle that I couldn't control or have anything to do with. But I do know this. Jesus will forgive them of that because it's power in him. Power that gets to the root of the problem. And it very often isn't the cancer itself. It's very often something more dastardly. An inability to receive deliverance from the guilt of sin. Well, sin is a weakness sometimes. But we need to be stronger. Sin is an incompetency that we have. That can be restored by the means of grace, says John Wesley. If you read your Bible, take Holy Communion, go to church, turn your life around, get on the ball, get to God, God will heal you and, and, and give you his love out of that adventure of turning back to him once again. James wants that laid out here for you, I think. The other word in here is confession. It's in that text. That word of confession. Confess your sins, he says, one to another. <laughs> Are you ready to do that? Well, you'd probably, probably rather have a, a priest that you can go to behind some closed doors and do that. Maybe that's what you need. That's what you should do. But this text says we should confess our sins one to another. Do you have a close friend in whom you can confide to and for each other and acknowledge your sinful state? Very often the person you're sent to has the same problem you do. Jesus will overlook all of that to get you the right confessor. And it's very often a person sitting beside you on the pew on a Sunday morning. You know, on that subject, the old communion ritual used to have a line in it that I never understood. It was, we're not worthy to gather the crumbs from under thy table, O Lord. You remember that? Stuck right in that old communion rubric. It's to remind us that we we are nothing. We're, we're, as Martin Luther said, we're just a bunch of worms. We're not any good for anything. All of our righteousness is like what, says St. Paul? Filthy rags. Listen, beloved. Confession is more, more, more important than you may have ever taken it into your head to confess. Now, in also in here is, is prayer, of course, prayer. But a, but a kind of prayer that is described as energetic. Uh, prayer, the, the root word has, has, has energy in it, energy in it. Um, you, you can, the, the, there's a way to actually put energy into what you say. Uh, for, 
for, for, so for the means of accuracy, you're in for, to put into action God's word. Now God is called down by us jumping around and, and hollering and screaming. That's shown here in the story of Elijah. He says, Elijah, you know, during the time of the drought, they were going to see who's boss. And Elijah brought a bull and cut it up, slammed it down on, on a mud hole and filled it full of water. Yeah. The other priests, they had wood and fire and danced all around it and they were trying to get God to light one or the other, one or the other. And so the, the priest with the bad offering got wilder and wilder and wilder and jumping up and down, jumping up and down. Didn't do a bit of good. All Elijah had to do was almost just point at his pile of beef and all of a sudden heaven's fire came down and they had a big pile of barbecue in a heartbeat. You see, that's who James is pointing to at the end of this lesson as number one prophet, Elijah. He knows what to do and just simply does it. Now, that doesn't say that he doesn't have some fear in him. It doesn't, as he, 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 he tries to, to, to get away from Jezebel, but just the same, just the same. God takes care of it. God sends the ravens with the biscuits, you know, to him every single day, sees that he has water. In the end, he goes to a widow who has just a little bit of oil and he provides a healing for her. It doesn't rain, but when it does rain, when Elijah says for rain to come, rain come, bang, and the ground is covered in the green springs of the summertime of Jesus. It's wonderful, wonderful story. That's who Elijah says, I mean, that's who uh, James says we should model, that is, Elijah, because in Elijah's day, idolatry covered the land. And he prayed, and it was banished in the land, because his prayer was energetic and on target and pointed toward a specificity of need. Elijah, what better time do we live in, do we need than right now? To see a land covered with idolatry of every shape and form. And here we sit acting like we don't, don't have any ability to do anything about it. Pray, beloved. Pray that God will move mountains to make it so. Well, that brings up the, uh, to me, uh, a sermon I recently heard by a bishop, a bishop Kenneth Carter. He, he, to make the wounded whole, talking about uh, healing. The three points to that is confession and intercession leads to healing. And it does. You confess your need and, or in fact also intercede for others. That is become a prayer partner or a prayer, prayer warrior. Just remember that prayer is according to James a final exhortation that we as a part of his community should not forget and not be without. Well, there you have it for today. Those three points bring up the fact that 
God is with us. And God is not going to let us go. I want to remind you, just as we shut down here, that this exhortation to prayer means that there are reasons to pray. And those reasons are, in this exhortation, to raise up the sick. Don't going to get with it. If somebody as sick is around you, reach out and pray for them. Pray for them. Remembering that healing is not magic and healing is important. But the touch of Jesus has power in it. And you're the captain of that soul. The story was told of a hospital chaplain and an evangelist. The evangelist went into the room of a man who was dying and prayed fervently that the man would get well. And he left the hospital room and ran into the hospital chaplain in the hallway who responded to that by saying to the evangelist, what are you doing? He said, I had that man all ready to die. And here you come in here and pray for him to get well. He's not going to get well. The evangelist said, yes, he is. He's going to be well beyond what we can ever see or know. When he enters the kingdom of God with faith in his heart, well, you get the drift of the story. Now, there's nothing wrong with hospital chaplains. The Lord knows we love them and need them. They're some of the softest, most wonderful people on the planet. Most seminaries today will not let you go until you've had several units of what they call CPE. Clinical pastoral care. You learn how to listen. You learn how to play, pray gently, realizing that what you say is important because you must do a verbatim from every room you go into and then have it scrutinized by your colleagues. It's a tough course. Believe me. But no tougher than the charge we have to, to, to be God's servant and to Learn to pray again and chase this idolatry out of the land by the power of the Lord. Well, there you have what I wanted to say to you in this day. And I'm going to let you go here with a final prayer of thanksgiving. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. Help us to be your servants. We thank you for the ministry and life of your servant James. For the lessons we gather from his scripture. For our hearts that need to be set on fire to pray. Thank you, Lord, for the people that we know right now that are sick and struggling. By the power of Jesus, we lift them up. Lord God, we pray today for also people who are locked up in prison. All the the prisoners everywhere in their cells, alone. For whatever their deeds may have been, we know that you are capable 
or forgiven the hardest heart. And so Jesus, we lift them up to you as well. Lord, in every hospital room, there's some deep concern, pain all around. We remember the rooms that we have entered and the ones that are coming for us when we may be there. And Lord, for them, the sick and the hospitals and the doctors that care for them with their intelligence, for the nurses with their compassion, oh, holy Jesus, we lift them up and we pray for them. For all the pastors and Bible teachers, people that work in churches, Oh, Lord, their task is never ending. We pray for them, Lord, and we lift them up to you. Lord, any of us going on mission trips to some faraway place, we pray for them and lift them up to you. In the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord, We ask these things confident that you will be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Goodbye today, beloved. See you next time. It's been a joy to be with you today. Bye-bye.